It is July 28th, 1986, and Portland's death trolley is on a high-speed testing run and is about to claim its first soul. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked out history folks at orhistory.com. We profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Today's podcast is brought to you by TriMetDiaries.com, who is hosting a live show with Kick-Ass Oregon History at the Jack London Bar on March 20th, 2012 at 7.30 p.m. Humanity on Wheels, an evening of mass transit tales. We'll have more details at the end of the podcast, so stay tuned and be sure to check out TriMetDiaries.com. The 1980s was a golden age for graffiti in Portland, Oregon. Tom Peterson's classic smiling, wake up, face was stenciled all around town. There was the U.S. out of Oregon spray painted near the Selwood Bridge, and we were constantly reminded to trust Jesus. Not too long ago, in the little town of Portland, Oregon, there existed in the downtown area a charming shopping mall called the Galleria. Close to this shopping center was a wall marked with giant letters that read, Mad Max, Portland's Death Trolley. This terrifying moniker was sadly all too appropriate. For even before TriMet's new light rail Max line began carrying paying customers to and from Gresham, the death trolley had struck. On July 28, 1986, a little after 11 p.m., Albert Eli Jr. of Vancouver, Washington, was in a car that broke down on the Banfield Freeway. Mr. Eli began looking for some wire or a nail to fashion a cotter pin to conduct a quick fix on the disabled vehicle's rear wheel assembly. He climbed over the three-and-a-half-foot retaining wall that separated I-84 from the Max tracks. Little did Eli know that he was to be the death trolley's first victim. Light rail car number 123 was in a testing exercise, preparing for full-scale operations which were to begin in September of 1986. Traveling at nearly 50 miles an hour, driver Dale DePeel, TriMet's Driver of the Year in 1983, 
saw Eli on the tracks at a distance of about 80 feet. He slammed on Max's brakes. But physics won out on that July night, and Mad Max took its first victim. Eli was thrown more than 50 feet and died on the tracks. There are some in the City of Roses who feel that TriMet is an unsafe method for traveling from point A to point B around our fair city, and recent events seem to validate that opinion. In December of 2011, a Benson High School freshman was attacked by a group of teens on the Max while other passengers just sat and watched and did nothing. Another attack occurred on the Northwest 5th and Hoyt Max platform on February 14th, Oregon's birthday. But to be honest, attacks like this occur so often, they are hardly newsworthy. The death of Albert Eli and the resulting graffiti helped demonstrate that this unsafe sentiment has been around for quite some time. But what about further back than the 1980s, before Max began devouring the citizens of Portland? Has there ever been a time when public transportation has been safe in Portland? Let's allow history to consider that question. The streetcar jumped the tracks while crossing a bridge at high speed. I grabbed for the rail overhead, as in my past experience of wrecks, I found that this is the safest place to hold on. Shut up like rats in a cage. I remember seeing a wild confusion of feet, lunch baskets, and people in every shape, all sliding towards the front end. It was only a few seconds from the time the wheels were bumping over the bridge before she went sailing through the air into the slough where we were submerged in the water. Shut up like rats in a cage. Shut up like rats in a cage. The streetcar jumped the It gave a sudden lurch. And the water rushed in through the windows and other orifices. Shut up like rats in a cage. Three times I was pulled back into the car by those who, like myself, were struggling for dear life to get out of the wreck. Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer themselves could not have created a more horrific scene than the one that greeted East Portland commuters on April 28, 1897. A streetcar on East Morrison Street broke an axle, skipped the track, and careened down a bridge, crashing through a guardrail, and plunged perilously into the slough below. The Oregonian reported that, The crash of breaking timbers was mingled with the agonizing shrieks and pitiful cries of the wounded and struggling passengers in the half-submerged car. Three were trapped inside the streetcar, with rescuers unable to extract them, and they drowned. Nearly 20 others were injured in this dramatic, historic illustration of death from mass transit. But of course, 
Deaths on streetcars in Portland are not singularly confined to the history books. According to public records and internet reports, Mad Max has killed 26 people since the light rail began taking passengers around the metropolitan area. And that doesn't even include Mr. Ellie, who was killed before the death trolley began regular service. And apparently the bus is even deadlier. In a shorter time span than the Max study, since 1988, 32 people have been killed in accidents with or on TriMet buses. It would seem that riding mass transit in Portland can be a fatal choice, as these statistics demonstrate. Let's take a moment to take a look at a few of these instances. On March 1st, 2004, British singer Sarah Brightman was to present her Harem World Tour show at the Rose Garden Arena in Portland. A tragic accident would also occur that Every day I get in the queue To get on the bus that takes me to you As the number five interstate bus attempted to negotiate the heavily trafficked throngs of concert goers on their way to the performance. 21-year-old Jasper Wester, on crutches, was crossing the intersection of Wheeler and Multnomah, just as the driver of the number five was making a left turn. Driver Julie Strickler Thorne had seen the 40 mock crest bus just pass through the intersection and looked at both corners before negotiating the same maneuver. The big mirrors on the bus must have hidden Wester from the driver, for the bus struck him and he died on the scene from a fatal head injury. Some passengers on the number five not only heard the accident, but physically felt the impact. People started running to the front of the bus screaming, open the doors, open the doors, and then pow, there was this shot. I was looking right at the guy. He was bleeding, dying. Everybody was shouting, screaming. It was chaos. Gunfire on a crowded bus. No way of escape as bullets fly. This was the all-too-real scene that greeted commuters on a sunny April afternoon in 1996 on the number six bus. A man simply bumped into another man and yelling and chippy words started to fly. Soon a gun appeared, and seemingly unaware of the other riders on the Friday afternoon rush hour bus, Jason Clough shot Delroy James in the neck. As James fell to the floor, with blood gushing from his gaping wound, passengers screamed and tried to flee the packed bus. Some crouched behind seats, others jumped from open windows. As bedlam and mayhem triumphed, Clough delivered a final point-blank shot to James's face. As Clough exited the bus and ran, a friend of the victim also disembarked the number six, pulled out his handgun, and emptied his clip towards the fleeing assailant, and of course, caring not for the safety of the other fleeing passengers as random bullets flew. One of these projectiles struck Clough in the ass, and he was arrested and taken to a legacy manual hospital. This was the scene of the first shooting that resulted in a death on a TriMet bus. Yes, that is correct. Unfortunately, I said first. Yet another fatality would come just one year later when a passenger was shot on the number four in August of 1997 
causing the bus to crash into a North Portland utility pole. But ticket-holding passengers have not been the only victims of the bus's fury. One particular and gruesome mishap involved what TriMet has termed a bus versus operator accident. At noon on November 2, 2004, TriMet driver Diane Booth pulled her number 62 bus into the Sunset Transit Center. Ms. Booth got out of her bus, apparently forgetting to put the vehicle into park or to set the brake. She walked in front of the bus and gravity took over. Another driver reported to have seen Booth quickly put her hands in the air between her body and the bus in a macabre display of self-defense and preservation. But it was no use. The huge TriMet vehicle rolled over her, knocked down the metal bus sign, and popped a tire in the process. Booth died from massive head trauma and compression. Resident historian Doug Kent Crispin sat down with a representative of TriMet to discuss safety and mass transit in the City of Roses. This is Doug Kent Crispin, resident historian for ORHistory.com, and I'm sitting down with Mary Fetch of TriMet. Thank you very much for joining us today, Mary. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Mary, to start things off, I want to ask, is TriMet a safe experience for passengers? Yes, I can say that clearly and, and strongly. Um, we move a small city every day. We move about 330,000 times a day. Somebody boards a bus or a train. When you think about that, if you put that in population, we'd be the, the state's second largest city. So when you think about that, we move a lot of people. We, uh, we move a small city. And because of that, I believe I'm, I, I grew up here. I'm, I'm a native Portlander, an Oregonian, and it's a safe city. It's a safe system. Now, that said, just like in a city, there are things that will happen, and occasionally, since transit is a reflection of what happens in the neighborhoods we serve, things will also happen on TriMet at some point. So, you know, we're, we understand that uh, we are in a very dynamic environment and are always monitoring what's happening, but uh, it's a safe system, and you just have to use your same sense of, of awareness that you would, that you're probably your mom taught you as a kid, you know, be aware of your circumstances and surroundings and, you know, uh, make good judgments. What steps does TriMet take to ensure the safety of commuters? Well, I would actually broaden that to it's not just about commuters. So we think about riders because we have riders, you know, we operate some 22 and a half hours a day. So when I think of commuters, I think the eight to fiver types. And to me, it's a system that works for getting to, say, a Timbers game or, you know, getting to work or getting to the doctor's appointment or going out and having uh, a nice dinner out. So... I think a couple of things. We're part of the community, and I think as such, we have a role to play as to help keep people safe. Um, that is with um, our transit police. We have 62 law enforcement officers that patrol the system. Uh, we have four precincts, so when you think about that they are dedicated in particular areas where they patrol, we have a Hillsboro um, and a West precinct that, tr that patrols from the Sunset Transit Center to Hillsboro. So what that means is those dedicated officers know what's happening in their community. They're in there. They do it every day. They're really aware of what's happening and any trends or things like that that they can respond to. So we have dedicated precincts where we focus people. 
Uh, we've also, as uh, we just expanded to 62 law enforcement officers, we were at 58, and um, our federal partners, the Transit uh, Security Administration, uh, TSA, um, gave us uh, a grant for additional officers. So we're expanding that number. Is driving a car to work a safer way to commute than riding on, say, the 44 Mox Crest? Well, the 44 is my bus. Mine too. Okay. It's a nice one. <laughs> I always not, miss I'm not, it. I'm not singling out the 44 for any specific I know, reason. I don't know, but you know what? As a community, we identify ourselves with our operator, with our bus line. Um, you know, whenever you meet somebody who is, let's say, a native, oh, what high school did you go to? I mean, there's this sense of what connects us to the neighborhood and to our area. And I think it's very much what bus line you live on or what rail line do you take. So I think, I can't speak to, to uh, driving, um, but I think... Uh, riding transit is so much safer. A couple of reasons. I, I ride my bike often to work and uh, it's about eight and a half miles each way and I tell you I see at least half of the people driving are still on their cell phones. They're still on their handhelds or they're playing with the radio or they're um, you know doing their makeup. Uh, you know there's just so much distraction out there right to me as a cyclist on the road, I mean, I ride very defensively. I wanna make sure that they see me. So when I'm on transit, I love it. I'm reading the paper, I'm doing my emails, I'm spending time thinking about whatever I wanna think about, whether it's a work thing, whether I'm going to have, you know, what's my next vacation or what are my things I have to get done today so I don't have to worry about you know, am, you know, my driving safely and such. So to me, it's fabulously wonderful, if you will, to be on transit and not have to worry about what's happening with that vehicle with everything else on the road. Is TriMet safer now than it was in the 1980s, the era of the Mad Max Portland's death trolley graffiti? Well, I don't know much about that era. Um, all I will say in, in regards to what kind of safety, I think um, as we have expanded our light rail system, obviously the first line opened in 1986, we're now building our sixth line. Every line we build, we uh, take the latest best practices and it's so important where your line of sight is, your clear sight lines and how you design it. Um, and I think we've gotten better uh, with every line. Uh, we've gone back and made improvements to pedestrian crossing, say on the, the original Eastside Max line, which is part of the blue line, you know, where you could have uh, more pieces that help you be aware of the train. So audible warnings, more signage, things like that, just to help people in a very dynamic environment where everybody's on a smartphone looking down. It's like, is anybody looking up anymore and paying attention to is it safe to cross, you know? So I think we're putting um, better pieces in place to help people be alert. They still need to play a role of keeping themselves safe. But I think it is a, uh, it's a safer city. It's a safer uh, system. Is 32 deaths on buses since 1988 and 27 deaths on Mac since the blue line opened, including Mr. Ellie, an acceptable or reasonable number of fatalities for a system as large as TriMet? Well, obviously I think any fatality is, is, is a disappointing and a sad event. I mean, it just is. Um, 
Um, I think when you look at the history of, of the fatalities on the system, many or most have to do with uh, risky behavior. People are walking on the tracks as a sidewalk. You know, it's not a sidewalk or going around down crossing gates. They're there for a reason. So, or someone is under the influence of some sort of drug and alcohol. So when you, th and, and some have been suicides, um, you know, so I think most of them have involved some sort of risky behavior. On the other hand, I think what we've learned from some of them is that people need to be reminded that the train is present. The train is quiet, right? So when you think that's some of the improvements we've made on the east side since we opened is basically putting some of the channelization in where you are helping to orient the pedestrian or the soon-to-be rider uh, toward the approaching train so they can be more aware of a train is coming. Uh, especially when you think about headphones and iPods and earbuds and people not listening as well. So you really have to work hard to kind of alert people that you're crossing a track, so to speak. So I think, you know, while the fatalities are, are very troubling just because that's what they are. Um, most of them are risky behavior. Um, some of them have, we've been able to improve the system. We've put crossings in and done other safety measures to really help prevent something like that happening again. So um, there's been something beneficial out of that loss. You know, it would be just, it would be sad if all we had was a loss, right? And every loss we look at and say, what happened here? Is there something we can do to improve the safety of the system? And we look at that for every incident possible. Um, you know, one of the sad elements of a, a, a triple fatality on the bus side was where a father was intoxicated and picking up his daughter and a friend uh, in a car and was speeding around a corner and lost control and ran into a stopped bus. You know, and you just think, oh, that is so tragic right? Um, nothing you could have done to prevent that. Um, even when you think about our latest fatalities on the bus side, which we're in Old Town where uh, the operator struck five people in a, in a uh, crosswalk um, and two young women died. Very tragic. And, and from that, we have launched so many changes in this agency from creating a culture of safety where safety is part of everybody's job um, and changing where bus stops are located or how that route is aligned so you're making sure you're, you're changing lanes appropriately or, you know, so we've made major changes throughout the system. It's a good thing. Um, it, it came out of a very uh, sad and really the hardest and the saddest time in our history. Well, on that somber note, I want to thank you for joining us today, Mary. I appreciate uh, speaking with you and your time speaking with us. Thank you. Thanks. We huddled close in the bus stop enclosure enfolding hands tightly holding I ride the bus every day. Every fucking day. To and from my real job in downtown Portland. And I've pretty much done this since high school in the 1980s. Every fucking day. And to be honest, I haven't really seen too much activity to make me feel unsafe. 
I have seen some serious douchebaggery and have been appalled at the behaviors of some of my fellow passengers, but with the exception of some asswipe attempting to light some guy's hair on fire with his fucking Bic lighter, I haven't seen too much to make me fear for the safety of my peer passengers. No guns, no knives, and not too much drunken male aggression. For the most part, it's normal everyday folks headed to work, listening to their iPods, reading their books, and sprinkled with a handful of self-centered dickwads that always populate the public conveyance machine. Yes, there have been shootings. Yes, Max has squished a fair number of oblivious, handicapped, or intoxicated pedestrians. But as far as most writers go, I feel pretty confident in saying your physical wellness is less threatened by getting mushed by a bus, and you're actually more in danger of catching a cold from some fuckhead in a puffy North Face down jacket deciding to open the goddamn window on a cold winter morning. Thanks a lot, prick. Why don't you go to Ron Tonkin and buy a fucking car? Thank you for listening, and be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was brought to you by TriMetDiaries.com. It was written by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. our website at orhistory.com. There, you can subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered through RSS directly to your device. You can also pick up Oregon History merchandise, learn about upcoming Oregon History events, and read of our adventures as Oregon's rock and roll historians. Follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. You can also like us on the Facebook our email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. And coming up on March 20th, 2012 at the Jack London Bar at 7.30 p.m., TriMet Diaries and Kick-Ass Oregon History are proud to co-present Humanity on Wheels, an evening of mass transit tales. Resident historian Doug Kank Crispin, Dr. Jeff, and Well Regan will spin yarns of commuting on TriMet. There'll be an open mic session where you can tell your tales of ecstasy or agony on the number 12 bus. Stage set by ORHistory.com's Melissa the Intern. And we want to thank Heather Gogan from Dorkface Media for the kick-ass event flyer. 
why don't you come down and join us? Just be warned. When sitting across from Mr. Kent Crispin, no one searches their pockets that vigorously for keys. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass.